let's, uh, let's turn our hearts and thoughts to the Word of God as it is found in the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, beginning at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Thus far the word of God. Let us pray. Father, we come to you as, as your children. Father, be our, be our protector, our friend. Uh, Lord, in this time, be our instructor. Father, teach us through your spirit what you would have us learn from this passage. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Aren't chapters and verses wonderful? Are, have you ever thought about that, how helpful they are? Um, I think most of us realize that when the books of the Bible were first written, there weren't any chapters and verses. Um, I'm not quite sure where the chapters and verses came from, who quite did it. I know when it happened. The chapters came in in the Middle Ages. Um, The verses came in in the 16th century. Luther, writing at the beginning of the 16th century, had only chapters, not verses. Calvin, writing it a little later in the 16th century, had chapters and verses. Well, some of you are wondering... What is he talking about? Why is he expanding the time between me and my lunch uh, talking about such trivialities? Well, 
while they're very helpful, sometimes verses and especially chapters can be, can get in the way. And I think that's what's going on here. It looks, as we've read that, to be three little stories. Christ tells his disciples to pray, and then he chooses 12, and then he sends them out on a missionary journey. But what I want to talk about this morning is the connection among the three stories. What I want to talk about is how God sends, the method he uses to send people to serve. Not just around the world, but just to serve. And I want to talk about it not just at an abstract level, but hopefully my intent is to apply it to Hicks and Prez and to each of us. Okay, well, let's, let's look at the passage then. First, um, there's an outline in the back of the, the bulletin of this. Um, I've got three points, and they're all alliterative uh, in the finest Presbyterian tradition. Um, the first one is Christ's caring. Look at, look at uh, verse 35 and 36. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, of the, uh, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Notice, and this is something you've heard before, but, but Christ doesn't just deal with people as disembodied souls, nor does he deal with them as just physical people that have physical needs. He deals with them as embodied souls, as incarnated souls, enfleshed souls. People that are body and soul, and he ministers to them both with to their souls and also to their bodies. So he is going around proclaiming the kingdom, soul, and healing every de- disease and every affliction, body. And in doing so, he sees the enormity of the problem before him. He sees people that are, the ESV says, harassed and helpless. Harassed is another word for weary. They're worn down. They've got too much to bear. And the word that's translated helpless is an interesting word. It has two meanings. One is thrown away, discarded. And the other one is prostrate, flat out, horizontal. So Christ looks around him as we look around us now and see people that are worn out, thrown away, prostrate. Okay, so what does Christ do about it? 
Verse 37, he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Well, that seems rather indirect, doesn't it? I mean, Christ is God. He can just fix it. Uh, if he has compassion on them, why doesn't he do something about it? If, if, if he doesn't want to do it directly, he can call down legions of angels. A legion is 144,000 troops. And he has legions of angels at his disposal. He could just say, come on guys, take care of it. Or, if he were a modern American, he could uh, set up a political protest and um, petition Rome to either lower taxes and regulation or be more involved in the lives of the poor. He doesn't do any of that. Now, not that any of that is necessarily bad, and there's a place for all of that. But what he does is he tells his disciples to pray, to pray earnestly. He, told, he tells his disciples, be as concerned about this as I am. Okay. Chapter break, but not break in the story. First word of ch chapter 10, verse 1, is and. It's, it's continuing the story. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. The connection there, it seems to me, is he chose the ones who did what he said to do. He chose the ones who prayed, who prayed earnestly. He chose the ones who were concerned about what he was concerned about. He chose the ones that caught the vision. There were other disciples, but he chose these twelve and Implicit in the text is at least one of the reasons he chose the twelve as the twelve apostles. Were they, those were the ones who prayed for missions. Those were the ones who shared his heart and his concern. Slight digression. Mark 3, 14 and 15 is a parallel passage. It's in, in the bulletin. Uh, about the choosing of the twelve. And in, in, in Mark it says, He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they, one, might be with him, and two, he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Again, word and deed. But the two things that he is chooses them for are devotion and obedience. 
He chooses 12 to be with him, to, to, to be around him, to be concerned for the things he's concerned with, to be his friends. But not just his friends, but his instruments that he might send them out. If, if you've been in any of my Sunday school classes, you know I never get very far away from Genesis 17.1 because I think it's the heart of the Christian life. And it's saying the same thing. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. God takes the initiative. He appears to us. He says, he reveals who he is. I am God Almighty. Then on the basis of that revelation, he asks two things from us. One, walk before me. And that could be better, that could be just as easily translated as come walk with me. The, the, the verb form there of walk it has, the, has the idea of two people walking back and forth, taking, taking a stroll in the garden, friendship, devotion, and be blameless, be holy, be, obey what I tell you to do. And so it seems to me my paradigm for the Christian life is devotion and obedience and trying not to fall off of either side of that horse, not having devotion without obedience or obedience without devotion, but the two of those put together. So Christ chooses his 12 apostles based on what he sees in their hearts of their concern and also because they acted on it. They were devoted to him and they obeyed what he told them to do. Now, look, we pray about what concerns us. If, if you have a very sick child, nobody has to remind you to pray for that very sick child. It's things that really don't concern us that we have to be reminded to pray about. Um, in a former life, I was with the state attorney general's office, and I worked with the Department of Corrections not for the Department of Corrections, but worked with them, and I worked with four or five different commissioners. Well, the commissioner that most impressed me, I think by far the best one of the group, when he came in, he came in from a different state, and he didn't know anybody who was working for him. So among the things he did was during his first several weeks in office, he would come across documents, reports, stuff. And he would send them to the person 
whose area they were concerned with, the second level folks in the department. And with just a simple notation of FYI for your information. What he was doing with that was to see who was going to say, ah, just something else to read, throw it away. And who was going to say, all right, this is something the boss thinks is important. Now, I better read this and at least interact with him about it, if not implement it. And I think Christ is doing sort of the same thing here. He's saying, go and do this. And then finding out who does it. So, he calls the twelve. In verse 5 through 7, 5 through 8, he sends them out. Instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles etc. He sends these twelve, these ones who have prayed for people to go out, he sends them to go out. And he sends them to, in, to the lost sheep, verse 6, of the house of Israel who were the people, in verse 36, that Christ saw harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said, okay, you now go and be their shepherds. Jacques Ellul is a French theologian who I don't agree with all his theology, but he's an amazingly interesting man to read. And he has a concept called irres irresponsible praying. When we pray, when we, ask, when we, when we petition in prayer, sorry, it's allergy season, when we petition in prayer, we're asking the creator of the universe, the maker and creator of all things, to come down into his creation and get his hands dirty on a particular problem. We're saying, God, come and do something about this. Well, If we do that, but we're not willing to get our hands dirty with that problem, do you see what that's saying? It, it, it's, it's saying that, that God, you take care of this, I'm better than this. You're not better than, than getting your hands dirty with this, but I'm better than that. When we pray, we need to pray responsibly. You need to drive responsibly, drink responsibly, text responsibly. Well, add one more. You need to pray responsibly. 
if you're asking God to be involved in something, ask yourself, am I willing to be involved in it too? We can't be involved in everything. We'll get to that. But are you willing? And so, these who had prayed for someone to go, Christ says, okay, you are the ones going. Often happens that way. You get a heart for something, guess what? God's preparing you to do it. And they go to the lost sheep, and in verse 7, they proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, speak to the people's souls, and they heal the sick, raise the dead, clean, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. They deal with the body. They do the same thing that Christ has been doing. They are not, they don't just share his concerns, devotion. They share his mission, obedience. And there's one more point that I think we shouldn't overlook, and that's verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, do all these things. You received without paying, give without pay. They're going as volunteers. Now, there is certainly a place for paid ministry in the church. The, the, the New Testament makes that clear. But the, the scripture teaching and the, the church history has been that the church has prospered on the backs of volunteers, on the backs of people being willing to give without pay. Well, you can tell where this is going, right? Um, you probably figured it out once you read the title of the sermon. Uh, be careful what you ask for. And the idea here is be careful, disciples, what you ask for, you just might get it. And get it, they did. So, what's our response to all this? Well, I'll give you two. Um, there are more. One is, thank you for explaining that to me. I didn't realize that. I'll just stop praying. Um, then I won't have to be involved in anything. Well, there are more disciples than the twelve. The twelve were chosen, the rest weren't. And I would suggest that's just exactly what the other disciples did or didn't do. They didn't obey. They didn't pray. When we don't pray, we're saying our concerns are different than Christ's concerns. Well, who has the right concerns? 
asking the question is to answer it. The other, the other um, response could be, well, this all sounds well and good, but I just don't have enough time. Something we hear all the time. And look, everybody's got a different amount of money, but everybody's got the same amount of time. Um, it's just the question is not how much do you have, the question is what are you spending it on? And this I will leave between each of you individually in your consciences, but what are you spending your time on? Um, how much time are you spending on television, on iPad games, on Facebook, on whatever technology, whatever amusement we have? Some of that's fine. But is that too much? Um, for those of y'all who are parents, are your kids involved in too many things? I'm not up here to tell you that here's how many is enough, here's how many is too many. Um, I wouldn't, I hope I wouldn't be so presumptuous, but even if I were going to try to, I wouldn't know what the answer to that was. But I do know that, uh, that we spend enormous amounts of time some of us, on those sort of things. Maybe, maybe should, you shouldn't even take that promotion if it means working longer hours. Um, Christ says a couple of chapters before this in Matthew, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there where your heart will be also. Where we spend our time shows what's important to us and shouldn't the things that are important to Christ be the things that are important to us. Conclusion, so what? All well and good. Um, What's HPC's part in all this? How can we be, as a congregation, praying responsibly and obeying responsibly? And I would suggest, nothing new here, but it's outreach by word and deed, globally and locally. Not seeing a difference in kind, we had um, this morning in Sunday school class, we had uh, Rich Wagner, who does cross-cultural ministries here, and Ellen Barnett, who does cross-cultural ministries in Acapulco. And um, the difference is not one is doing one thing and the other is doing another. The biggest difference is the longitude and latitude at which they're doing it. So doing something locally or doing something globally 
is where God calls you, but doing something, reaching out, spreading the kingdom, that's what's important. Not choosing local over global or global over local. Specifically, um, we want as a church to promote both local and global ministries. We made some, we're in the process of making some organizational changes to more closely integrate that, those two. But that's behind the scenes stuff. Um, on the local front, we want to explore new ways of engaging the community. Rich has taken a position as cross-cultural ministries coordinator for the church. And already we have ESL going, we have TASC, although that's not under cross-cultural. Uh, we have some other ministries, if you, again, if you were in Sunday school, you heard about several, and several that are in the, the planning or dreaming stages. On the global front, we have a rich tradition of supporting ministry, uh, missionaries. We, we do, for a church our size, we do a lot of supporting. We want to continue that, but the idea is to focus it on two or three or maybe four focus areas. One that has arisen over the past few years is Acapulco. Um, that was not planned, it has just happened. And so that's one of our focus areas. But it's not the only one. Um, we we want to develop two or three others so that, so that you may not know about various missionaries, but you'll, you'll have an idea that yes, Hickson Prez is involved in Acapulco. Hickson Prez is involved in Uganda. Hickson Prez is involved in a couple of other places. We've, we've, we've done some of those and tried it and it hadn't worked. We're going to continue until we, until we get the right ones. Now, that also doesn't mean uh, that when... Um, David and Carrie Young decide to go to Spain that we won't be supporting them. And it also doesn't mean that um, the ones that we've supported for 20 years because the mills are in Bangkok, Thailand and Bangkok, Thailand doesn't seem to me to be where an area we can focus on that we're going to drop the mills. So uh, this will all be done over time and with attrition and as things things develop. The other thing is that as you can see this missions conference is a rather scaled back one. We've gone to one a year in the fall but what we want to replace that with is smaller groups, smaller um, smaller gatherings where, where smaller groups of people can interact more, more personally with missionaries, get to know them a little bit. And there'll be opportunities for these sort of things. There's already been a couple of them. Um, 
last night a group mate met with Ellen. When the Steckatees were here, a group mate with them. Uh, that will continue because that's when you really get to, to know somebody. All right, so what's your part? Just like the disciples, pray, but pray responsibly. Be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Volunteer. Robert listed a, read off a whole list of places where you can volunteer. Try something. Try anything. It might work for you. It might not. If it doesn't, try something else. Find out where your passion is. Find out what gets your juices flowing. And go and do that, and it'll be a joy. It won't be a problem. Find something that fills you with joy and satisfaction that is expanding the kingdom. And that may mean keeping child care for ESL. It may be you going to Bangkok, Thailand. It really doesn't matter. What matters is being active, being involved. So without putting too fine a point on it, go and do something. Many of you are already going. Many of you are already doing. I, I, I rejoice in the, in the amount of volunteer effort that we have in this church. But for those who are looking for something to do, pray. Pray responsibly. Get involved. Try something. You can't do everything but you can do something. Pray with me. Father, we, we rejoice that, that you have looked upon us and seen people who are, who are weary, people who are prostrate, people who are thrown away. And Father, you have not left us as sheep without a shepherd. Lord, we pray that we may, as we have received, we may give back. Father, kindle a flame in our hearts to, to, to expand your kingdom, to do your will, to bring your love to those who don't know you. We pray in your son's name.